0: Even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. Why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. One of the times that we see Jesus most angry in the Scriptures is when he walked in and the temple court where the nations were allowed to come and gather before him and pray had been changed into a place where they were selling sacrifices and making money. Jesus declared, my house, my father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer. I long today that as we look at this word you all would be able to stop and pray but let's start by praying please join with me Father we draw near to you and um, we do cry out as Mita said how long O Lord and we praise you that you're the one that gave us the psalm to even be able to pray that way Father, you know which of us women and men are here asking that question, how long? How long will it be until you bring reconciliation into our relationships? How long will it be until we are settled and know the way forward? How long will it be until uh, the fear of this pandemic is behind us? How long will it be until your church takes on all of its beauty as you Intend her to be. Father how long will it be. Until we stand with courage. And with fortitude. How long will it be. Until your name is praised. From every corner of the earth. Father we praise you. That you are the one. Who gave us the words to come before you. In times of trouble. And in times of um, questioning. Father, I pray for every woman and man who is here today that you would speak to us both individually and corporately. Father, we think about the sons and the daughters of this church who are not here with us, for whom we are praying, who are away from school or who have graduated and who have begun to move on or who are about to leave for school. Father, for those daughters of this church who are anxiously awaiting where they will end up, in these next few years of their lives. Father, I pray that you would speak to them through your word, by your spirit, and remind them that you are a God who draws us to yourself and who makes yourself known. Father, we know that you have called us to live by faith. And so in many ways, we are fearful to make the decisions that you have called us to make as image bearers of you. And so I pray that we would not be afraid to make decisions. But we would make decisions in faith, knowing that one day we won't have to live by faith, we'll live by sight. But until then, we have to live by faith. And Father, I pray that you would encourage us. Father, I pray that you would remind those of us here and away who have the hardest time believing that you know us and that you have dealt bountifully with us as the psalmist wrote. Father, I pray that as we come to your word, we would realize how bountifully you have dealt with us and that we each in our own time, in these next few minutes, would bow our heads and would give you praise and thanksgiving. And would you prepare us now to, in repentance, come back to the supper and feed from you, Christ, and so declare, as that membership vow says, that we rest upon you alone for our salvation. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time. As one of the children said in Sunday school, you are the word made flesh. And so would you please send your spirit that we might see you more clearly and seeing you, that we might be changed into your image with ever increasing glory by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, we continue our study in the book of John. Uh, Nathan reminded us of many aspects of that book last week, and we're going to keep reminding you this month as we get back into this theme of the Gospel of John. Our theme in these next few verses, these verses 39 through 47, is simply this. Jesus points this out our spiritual likeness and conduct reveal our paternity our spiritual likeness and our conduct reveal our paternity who parented us <laughs> who our fathers are you guys maybe got a few christmas cards over the break children maybe you have seen your folks you know litter the refrigerator door with Christmas cards. Or maybe if your folks are OCD and they can't put them on the refrigerator door, you know, they're somewhere else in your house and you, you see them and you page through them. Megan Minan uh, reached out to us and she said, oh my goodness, Benjamin is the spitting image of Bradley. And I thought to myself, everybody's got their cross to bear. What can you do? I mean, it's not, it's not my fault that he is that way, but he is that way. And in many ways, The verses that stand before us remind us that our spiritual likeness and conduct reveal who our Father is. And to understand that language, it's not just a genealogical thing. It is the reality of who has parented us, who has defined for us reality. We remember in the Gospel of John that the goal is actually given. And I tell you, as you study the Scriptures, whenever you find a book of the Bible that says this is the goal of this book, you ought to highlight that. You ought to you know, get some Christmas lights and wire them into your Bible so that every time you open it up, it flashes because it's not always this clear. But in the Gospel of John, in the 20th chapter, in the 31st verse... John says that these things have been written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And not just any belief as we see today, right? But that in believing that you might have life in his name. Nathan reminded us of something that we had seen in the third chapter that Jesus said when he came into the world as the light that judgment came into the world, right? Wherever light shines, judgment takes place. Something is revealed. And from that word judgment, we get our word crisis. Do you remember this? Is this ringing a bell from last spring? Don't worry, we'll remind you a few more times. This idea of something being a crisis, an event that reveals the condition of what already is. Right? A crisis. And Jesus says to Nicodemus in the third chapter, my coming creates a crisis. And we see that same crisis here. You see here that Jesus... ...reveals the hearts, as Nathan defined for us last week... ...of those Jews who had begun to believe in him, right? We read that in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him... ...and then he begins to speak to them, right? Jesus, in these verses of ours, picks a fight, if you will. Those of you who know me know that I love Braveheart, William Wallace... Uh, and I love that one scene where he goes into one of the battles and they say he says to his buddies, you guys stay here, I'm going over there. And they said, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to pick a fight. And in one sense, Jesus does that in these verses for us. Jesus has told these Jews who have come to believe in him, and yet it's very apparent as the conversation progresses that their belief is less than finding life in Christ. He says to them in verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He's picking a fight because they say, wait a minute, we've never been slaves. This is what Nathan talked about last time. And they had that whole conversation, and then he ends it with this in verse 38, the verse before our text. I speak of what I have seen with my Father. And you do what you have heard from your father. Jesus is picking a fight, isn't he? He says, essentially, we have different fathers. And here the conversation starts. Jesus pointing out that our spiritual likeness and conduct reveal who our father is, reveals our paternity, reveals who has parented us. It begs the question of you and me as we look at this text. Does our spiritual likeness and conduct reveal God as our Heavenly Father? And especially in crisis. I want to show you what Jesus' argument is. And then I just want to make two points about it. So if you'll look at these verses, 39 through 47 with me, I want to show you what happens when this crisis of belief is questioned and how for these to whom Jesus is talking, their spiritual likeness and conduct reveals that their father the one who has parented them is actually the devil. And you go, that's shocking language. You're exactly right. And Jesus has come to pick the fight because he loves them. And I want to assure you that Jesus loves you. In verses 39 and 40, Jesus has just told them that I speak to you about my father and you do the works of your father. He says, we have different fathers. And Jesus, in verses 39 and 40, denies their claim that Abraham is their father. You can read it as easily as I can. In verse 39, he says, Abraham is our father. And Jesus says, look... If Abraham was your father, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But instead, he says to them, you're trying to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. And this is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works of your father. Jesus denies their claim that Abraham is their father. He's going to say in just a few verses, I understand that you've descended from Abraham. In fact, he's already said it once. But he is talking about who has parented them, who has taught them how to respond to God. He says, you don't do the works of Abraham. What did Abraham do? What is Abraham known for doing in Scripture? He's known for having believed the words of God, the promises of God, and having obeyed them. God says, go and leave your nation, leave your people, and go to the land where I will send you. And Abraham, in his obedience, goes. Does Abraham obey all the time? Read the story of Abraham. It's shocking. It's shocking that this patriarch of the saints sells his wife into sexual slavery not once but twice. It's overwhelming. But Abraham believed God and he is known for his obedience. And God works his faithfulness into his servant Abraham. And Jesus says, look, you're trying to kill me. You don't believe the words that I'm speaking, even though they've come from the Father. Abraham is not your father. You're doing the works of your father. Jesus denies them the ability to claim Abraham. You can tell that they get really frustrated with him because right here in the beginning of verses, at the end of verse 40 and the beginning of verse 41, they say to him No, wait a minute, we're not the ones who were born of sexual immorality. We weren't born of sexual immorality is what he says. It's most likely, because they've already been told in John that they knew who Jesus' parents were. They knew about Mary and Joseph. It is most likely that they're making a slam on Jesus. Going, it's your paternity that we've always questioned all along. We know the chaos surrounding your birth. The frustration has mounted but Jesus just doesn't deny them the claim of Abraham. In verses 40 and 42, 41 and 42, he denies them the claim that God is their father. For these Jews, it would have been very natural for them to say, Look, our father is God. Deuteronomy 32 talks about that. God is our father. It's also in Isaiah 63 and Isaiah 64, where the nation of Israel says, God, you are our father corporately. And Jesus denies them that claim. He says, if God were your father, you would love me, is what he says. You would love me. Jesus says this in verse 32. He says, look, I've come from God. He even says this, I am here. I'm here. And I didn't come of my own accord, but the father sent me. God loves you. If he were your father you would in turn love me, Jesus says to them. Instead, Jesus says, you can't bear to listen to me. The picture that's here is of folks refusing to hear what Jesus says, just putting their fingers in their ears. It made me think of Acts 7. Do you remember in Acts 7 what happens? How Stephen is preaching about who God is and how He has made Himself known to a sinful nation through His Son, Jesus Christ, whom they have crucified. And it says that those who listened to Stephen covered their ears and cried out and rushed toward Him and stoned Him. That's the same picture that we get right here. Jesus is saying, look, you can't claim that God is your Father because... You don't love me. And then in verses 40 through 47, Jesus drops the proverbial mic in the midst of this conversation. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. We have a phrase that we often use, right? like father, like son. Uh, that phrase goes across gender. You could certainly say like mother, like daughter, like father, like daughter, like like mother, like son. It, it, it works the same. We understand that, that we begin to take on those characteristics of those who have parented us, right? If you don't know this, you should do youth ministry sometime. When you hear junior hires and senior hires talking, you can hear the conversation that goes on in their homes. It's amazing. And the younger the children get, the more clearly you understand the conversations at home because the children don't know how to filter those things, right? It's amazing. But here, Jesus says, look, you want to do the very thing that your father desires. And he says to them, you have been parented by the devil. He says the devil is all about murder. He says he has been from the beginning. Children, you know where we see the devil in the very beginning of the scriptures, don't you? We see the devil in the garden. We see the devil working with Adam and Eve denying what what God had told Adam and Eve that if they were to disobey and eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they would die. And the devil tells them that is not true. And Jesus says the devil even then was out to murder, to bring death, to destroy, to divide God from his image bearers. This was the desire of the devil. He goes on to say that he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus is saying you have been parented about what is true from God, from one who has always lied to you about who the Father is. As Sinclair Ferguson writes in that book that's on the back table, The Whole Christ, it is a lie that is an assault on God's generosity and on God's integrity. A lie that assaults God's loving and God's truth. Telling. And and Jesus says, The reason you do not believe me is because you have been parented by the Father of lies, that all lies are traced back to Him. So much so that in verse 45 he says, You do not believe because I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth, and you immediately. Don't believe it. You think, wasn't Jesus out to get people to believe him? And and didn't this whole conversation start in verse 31? So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. This conversation with those folks. Jesus has picked a fight about the crisis of who he is and what they believe about him. Because he does not stand for false belief. Their spiritual likeness and conduct reveal that the devil has been their father. The one who has parented them about who God is. I told you that the theme of these verses is simply... That our spiritual likeness and conduct reveal our paternity. Our spiritual likeness and our conduct reveal who has parented us. Who have we believed? Who has set the truth for us? And there remains that haunting question. Does our spiritual likeness and conduct reveal that God is our Heavenly Father? Does it? I have two observations, two thoughts that I want you to think about with me in closing. These are two thoughts about this concept of the crisis of belief. This is a solid explanation of unbelief, is what one commentator said. The reason that these folks here do not believe what Jesus says is because they have been parented about who God is by the lies of the devil. This is a crisis that has come up in their lives because of Jesus. You might be here today and go, Jesus is causing a crisis in my life. What is there ever? How is it possible to have authentic belief? If this is how belief comes to be, who has parented us, those of us who are descendants of Adam and Eve? Well, Jesus doesn't speak about it in these verses, but he has already spoken about that. He says in the sixth chapter when he told those who listened to him that unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have nothing to do with me. He says in verse 44 of that chapter, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. What is the hope that we would come to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, and that believing in him, we would have life? Our hope is that the Father himself would come and draw us to Christ. This isn't language that Jesus made up. In fact, I don't know if Jesus ever made up any language. He picks up the concept of being drawn by the Father from the Old Testament. Jeremiah 31.3 says this in the voice of God, of his people, I have loved you with an everlasting love and I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. That word for kindness is covenant love. I have drawn you with unfailing covenant love there are other places in the old testament where this idea of drawing by god of human beings is referenced the concept of drawing is a weird concept to us it means that god has seized us he has taken hold of us he has caught us you want to know one of the ways that that word is translated It is to have been saddled by something. The picture of a horse and a wild horse being broken and then cared for and led by another. God draws us to Christ. Jesus will go on later to say in John chapter 12 that when he is lifted up, when the Son of Man is lifted up, I, Jesus says, will draw all people to myself. The same language. That we are drawn to the truth about Jesus because of God's faithful work in our lives. That is how we come to believe in him. That is the hope for authentic faith so that our spiritual likeness and conduct would reveal that we have been parented by God himself. Well, the last thought that I had is simply this. What does our spiritual likeness and conduct look like in times of crisis? Jesus was a crisis for those to whom he spoke. And for some of you today, Jesus is that crisis for the first time. But that idea of crisis, of an event that proves what is already underneath us, happens to us often. This pandemic is one of those crises that we think about and we go, how does this force me to ask the question, what do I believe about God? Our present day, our time, the day in which we live, our era, the world in which we live is another one of those crises that cause us to ask the question, what is my spiritual likeness and conduct in the face of this crisis? How about a relationship that's completely torn apart in your life? A crisis like that. What does it prove about your spiritual likeness Your conduct, my conduct in the midst of that crisis. Jesus says that to be like the devil, to believe the lie about the Father, we would be murderers. And you go, Well, I'm safe from that. Hallelujah. Not a murderer. Not yet, right? Is what we all say before we go to bed at night. But we can't even say that when we read the Sermon on the Mount and believe Jesus' words. What did he say? He said, you have heard it said before, you shall not murder. But I tell you, if you have anger in your heart toward another, you've already committed murder. He goes on in the Sermon on the Mount to define that anger because anger is not bad in the Bible. You know that, right? There is good anger and righteous anger and there is sinful anger. But Jesus is talking about sinful anger here, and listen to that sinful anger. Sinful anger from this point is anger that insults other image bearers of God and dehumanizes them in the way we think about them and speak of them. That is anger that doesn't come from the parenting of a God who loves us but comes from the parenting of the devil who sows lies in our hearts about who God is. Mita and I were driving south on one of the many times that we have driven too much lately. And Mita had come across a great book called Uncommon Ground. I don't know if you've heard of this book. You ought to pick it up. Uh, Tim Keller is one of the editors. John Inazu, I think, is the other editor. And I don't know him. He's a professor at, um, at Wash U in St. Louis. And the blurb on the book simply says how Christians today interact with those around them in a way that shows respect for radically different beliefs, but also remains faithful to the gospel. And I thought, man, that's a book I need to read. And I only listened to the first chapter before it had me hook, line, and sinker. And the question is, How does our spiritual likeness and conduct in times of crisis reveal that we have been parented by God? And he went straight to what the church fathers have called the theological virtues, faith, hope, and love. And the writers went on to say, That when we live by faith, believing what Jesus said, that the absolute only way that we know the Father and the truth of who Jesus is, is that the Father drew us to himself when we were believing the lie. That he seized us and grabbed us and saddled us and brought us in because he loved us He led us, as it says in Hosea, with cords of kindness. That that leads us to humility. That faith that develops into hope. That says this world was never supposed to be the final place. But Jesus is making all things new... And our hope is set on Him and on His return allows us to be patient. Humility and patience. And ultimately, love. The reality that God Himself has entered into our brokenness. That He has loved us so that you and I might engage the world in which He has placed us. There is righteous anger in the midst of crisis. But I want you to know that I know of nowhere in Scripture... Where righteous anger does anything except move toward those objects of anger. Anger that moves away. Anger that isolates. Anger that says, just get them away from me is anger that shows the seeds of another truth spoken into our hearts, a lie, which we have to recognize is not of the conduct of those who have been parented by the Father. As I read this this week, I was stopped. Because I think... I'm honest with you. I have to tell you, I'm an angry person. And the reason I say that is because I can go from zero to 90 in my anger in the blink of an eye. And I do not find my anger very often, to be righteous. And I need that Father who draws us to Him. But praise God, we worship a God who draws us to Him, who reveals Himself to us. There's a song that we sing, and I'm just going to end by reading it to you. Don't worry, I won't sing it. I won't do that. I'm going to read it to you and I want you to listen to the parenting that is in this song because Jesus points out in this passage that our spiritual likeness and conduct reveal who has parented us. The writer writes, draw me from created good from self, the world, and sin, to the fountain of thy blood, and make me pure within. If thou hast drawn a thousand times, O draw me, Lord, again. Around me cast the Spirit's bands, O draw me, Lord, again. Lead me to thy mercy seat, O draw me nearer still. Like Mary, draw me to your feet to sit and learn your will. Draw me all the desert through with cords of heavenly love. And when prepared for going home, oh, draw me up above. If thou hast drawn a thousand times, oh, draw me, Lord, again. Around me, cast the Spirit's bands. Oh, draw me, Lord, again. Let's pray.